Hi everybody, welcome. We're really glad you could join us today. Uh, today's session, we'll be looking at the ways road operators can manage the transition to electric vehicles. My name's Elena Gardner and I'm the Communications Manager at Austroads. I'll be moderating today's session. If you run into any technical problems, please let me know in the questions section of your sidebar. You'll find that on the right-hand side of your screen. And just a quick tip, uh, I know a few of you are probably joining us from home. If you lose sound or your picture freezes, that's most likely an issue with your connection. So if you close your browser and rejoin the session via your email registration, that usually fixes the issue. I acknowledge the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the custodians of the land from which we're broadcasting today. I pay my respect to Elders past, present and emerging. I also acknowledge the Treaty of Waitangi and Maori as the original people of New Zealand. So a little bit of housekeeping. Our presenters will speak for 40 minutes and then we'll have a Q&A session which will run for 15 minutes. We do record all of our webinars and we'll email you once the recording is uploaded on our website. We also distribute our webinars via podcast and you can subscribe to our channel by searching for Austroads in your podcast app. Today's presentation slides can be downloaded from the handout section in your sidebar. So if you are joining um, us from home today, uh, I'm also uh, broadcasting from home and as are most, um, and most Austroid staff are working from home now. So wherever you are joining us from today, I do hope that you're managing to stay healthy and happy. So a bit about Austroids, we're the peak organisation of Australasian Transport and Traffic Agencies. Our focus is to support our member organisations to deliver an improved road transport network. Austroads uses a program management approach to deliver its work. Each program is focused on an operational area of the road system. The project we're discussing today was delivered under the Future Vehicles and Technology Program and John Wall, the manager of that program, is joining us today to provide an, a brief overview of this new program for Austroads. The report this webinar is based on is also available through the handout section of your sidebar or it can be downloaded from our website. So please do send us any questions you have for the Q&A. Simply type your question into the box at any stage of the webinar. To help us answer your question as best we can, please let us know the slide number your question relates to. It can be helpful to have the PDF of the slides available to refer back to the slide number. And just a reminder that they can be downloaded from the handout section. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce our presenters today. We'll first hear from John Wall about Austroads Future Vehicles and Technology Program. John is recognised as one of Australia's leading specialists in the application of intelligent transport systems for road safety. He has had an interest in electric vehicles and the role they can play in improving public health and the sustainability of our transport systems for more than a decade. Hi John, welcome. Hi Elena and thank you for hosting us this afternoon. So after we hear from John, we'll hear from David Green who will provide an overview of the project. David is a senior technology leader with the Australian Road Research Board's Future Transport Technology Team. He is a qualified civil engineer and has more than 15 years experience in the road and traffic industry. Hi David, it's good to have you with us. 
Hi, Elena, and it's good good to be here, and uh, welcome all. Then Mark Jerrick and Nathan Gore-Brown will cover the central findings of the research. Mark is the founder and principal at consulting firm Movement. Its mission is to accelerate Australia's transition to low emission vehicles and fuels by working directly with fleets and developing strategic policy and programs for electric vehicles. Hi, Mark. Hi, Elena, and welcome to everybody else on the line. And Nathan is the electric vehicle lead at Movement. He has 20 years experience in the automotive sector, including significant electric, electric vehicle experience from his previous role in Tesla. Hi, Nathan, welcome. Hi, Elena, and thank you for having us today. So after we hear from Mark and Nathan, David will then come back and cover the research recommendations, and then all of the presenters will be available to answer questions in the Q&A session. So, John, I'm going to hand you over the controls so that I can take the presentation over from here. Hi, Elena. Yeah, hi. Yeah, you had my screen shared. I gave you the wrong one. I handed over to the yeah. wrong person. Sorry. That's okay. No worries. I think we've got John now. I think we're right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's see how we go. Um, thank you very much, Elena, and um, good afternoon to everyone. And to uh, I expect a whole range of people working um, in places that we don't normally work from home and um, hopefully other safe locations. And uh, Australia's and the team from Future Vehicles are here with you. Um, we're working remotely uh, as well, and um, we hope that um, this crisis uh, finishes as soon as it can and that um, as many of uh, us uh, remain safe as possible. So what I'd like to do is just take you through the Future Vehicles and Technology Programme. The program itself is a new one for Austroads. It was established in July of 2019, and this will actually be the first, oh, sorry, the second report and webinar that we've done for our program. So the vision of the program is that the employees of our members, the road agencies um, that are members of Austroads have a real understanding about how future vehicles and technology can be used to improve the capacity of their organisation to deliver those services to the communities that they serve. We have five program themes, connected and automated mobility, low and zero emission vehicles, physical infrastructure requirements, uh, digital infrastructure requirements, and member capability. And member capability is quite a new one. It's looking at the new skill sets that members of the road agencies across Australia and New Zealand are going to need to have to manage uh, some of these future vehicles and technologies. A key report that we're developing at the moment is actually a forecast report to look at what vehicles will look like, what their capabilities will be for 2030 and how our fleet will look like in that year. 
Um, it's important because uh, one of the, the things that we want to do is to make sure that our road agencies are prepared for the future and prepared for what is going to occur in the next decade or so. Uh, this project is a bit of, oh, sorry, this slide is a little bit of an ad for um, uh, this particular research project and we hope to get that out before June. We're looking at eight characteristics of the 2030 vehicle in the areas of automation, connectivity, power source and ownership model. It will allow our program in Austroads to take, set a target state and help us prioritise our research projects and guide development. And we hope to publish that, as we said before, June of 2020 and review our forecast on an annual basis. And without further ado, I'd like to um, hand back to Elena so that we can have a look at the results from this, which I believe is Osroad's first real uh, project into electric vehicles. Thanks, Elena. Thanks, David. Over to you. Okay. Uh, thank you, Elena, and um, yeah, thank you, John, for that introduction. So I'll just provide a bit of a... Um, an introduction into into the project and provide some background then um, hand over to, to Mark and, and Nathan to talk through some of the uh, findings and then I'll be back uh, later to just provide some conclusions and, and recommendations. So essentially uh, the assessment of key road operator actions to support the transition to electric vehicles that is the subject of today's uh, webinar was undertaken as, as a team effort. So before I get into this webinar, I'd just like to highlight the contributions made to this project. So firstly, from an Austroads perspective, uh, the project was uh, managed by David Yee. And then from a project perspective, it was, it was led by Arb, um, and with myself as project leader, uh, with some support from Samantha Taylor as quality manager and Kieran Hay. And then supporting Arb with significant technical inputs uh, was movement. Um, and that was led by Mark Eric and, and Nathan Cor Brown, which you'll hear from uh, shortly, and with support also from Alan Morgan. So we thank them all for their contribution. And so given this, this is a Austroads project, it also comprised of um, an Austroads project uh, reference group. And so the PRG is made up of representatives from various road agencies around Australia and New Zealand, as can be seen on, on this slide. And then we also got, uh, from Australian federal government perspective, we have input from the Australian Department of Infrastructure, Transport, Cities and Regional Development. Also, we also got some contributions from ITS Australia and Transurban. So we thank everyone for their contributions to, to this project. It's, it's really made it a, a, um, a really good uh, finding and hopefully useful for, for road agencies going forward. So I guess why are we why are we doing this project? Well, firstly, there's, there are some benefits uh, to electric vehicles, and we'll just highlight a couple of them um, here. So some of them are including lower emissions at the vehicle level and potential for lower emissions at the community level. There's lower vehicle operating costs for electric vehicles. There's also less pollution where the vehicles are operating, resulting in cleaner urban environments. And there's a, an ability to control electric vehicle energy production and supply both at an individual and community level. So this results in an ability to have increased uh, fuel security around the transport. There's also a whole bunch of other benefits, and it, but that wasn't really a focus of, of this project. Really the focus was that Austroads could, 
could see the benefits of electric vehicles and Australia and its members are interested in seeing society transition to electric vehicles. But for that to happen requires input from various stakeholders, including the vehicle manufacturer industry. They need to build and supply uh, the electric vehicles. Government departments and agencies, they need to remove any barriers for the uptake of electric vehicles and implement policies to support their uptake. Then there's the vehicle users and general society, so they need to purchase and operate the electric vehicles. But then where we are interested in this project, then there's the road operators. So as electric vehicles are used on their roads, they need to support the transition to electric vehicles. And so that is therefore the, the focus of this project. And so this project was really around based on assessing and defining road operators' roles in supporting the transition to electric vehicles. And this webinar provides an overview of those findings. Just noted that we, we do use the term road operators to reflect road and transport agencies, but it also may uh, refer to local government and private road operators as well. But in this report where actions are assigned to road operators, given that it's an Austroads report, they're generally assigned to Austroads member road agencies. So a little bit about uh, electric vehicles. Uh, so from, from this project's perspective, so an electric vehicle is categorised as either, from this project, categorised as uh, three different um, categories. So the first one, battery electric vehicles. So that's vehicles that are propelled by one or more electric motors with the batteries that require recharging from an external electricity source. Then there's the plug-in hybrid uh, electric vehicles, so the FEVs. So these are vehicles propelled by one or more electric motors and batteries capable of being externally recharged and, and also supported by an internal combustion engine. And then there's a fuel cell electric vehicle. So these are, are vehicles propelled by one or more electric motors powered by electricity that is generated on board by a hydrogen fuel cell that combines oxygen with air, oxygen from the air with hydrogen to produce electricity. It's noted that Hybrid vehicles, so with no plug-in features, were excluded uh, from this study. So that, they are essentially an ICE vehicle with the ability to be able to store energy and then reuse, reuse that um, later. So they were excluded from, from, that, from this study. It is also noted that the definition of electric vehicles is an evolving space. Uh, so, for example, in the recent UK ban of internal combustion engines to come in effect by 2035, uh, they would this would also include uh, FEVs. So in that instance, um, from, from the UK's perspective, EVs are only those vehicles which are purely EVs only and do not have an internal combustion engine at all. So that is a bit of an evolving space, something to uh, keep a note of. But from the purpose of, of this study, uh, we, in, we incorporated the, the BEVs, the PHEVs and the SCEVs as being electric vehicles. A little bit about the process uh, that the project went through, so it's, it's worth highlighting this. Um, so essentially the process that the project went through is highlighted on the slide there, and essentially the literature review and the stakeholder consultations were key components of this project, particularly the stakeholder consultation, because the stakeholder consultation involves talking to 28 organisations across the main EV-related stakeholder groups, and this included road and transport agencies, local and national government departments and representative bodies, 
industry and their representative bodies. So industry included uh, vehicle manufacturers, EV charging um, providers, transport industry, and energy, hydrogen, and, and fuel industries. So based on that, an assessment was undertaken to, to determine the key issues with respect to road operator actions to support the transition to EVs, and this formed uh, the draft and final report. So the project reference group, as highlighted earlier, uh, they were asked to review outputs at each of these stages uh, with comments addressed. And so all up, we felt that this really formed a robust final published report that you can download from the Austroads website and, and which is the subject of today's webinar. So now I'll hand over to, to Mark and Nathan and I'll provide an overview of the road operator actions to support the transition to EVs and I'll come back in later to provide some conclusions and recommendations. So over to you Mark and, and Nathan. Thanks David, thanks for that introduction and welcome to everybody again. Um, so a bit more background context before we get right into it. So we know that electric vehicles are already here in the market and more are coming um, and eventually that they'll replace conventional internal combustion engine vehicles, what we call ICE vehicles, petrol and diesel. And I guess the only question is how fast that happens. Uh, and we also know that governments have a big influence on the speed of that transition through their various policy settings, uh, programs and incentives. And so, as David mentioned, the scope of this project was not specifically about pulling those levers to accelerate the transition to EVs. It was primarily about not slowing that transition down. So removing barriers and identifying what traditional road agency functions uh, electric vehicles are going to impact. As part of the answer to that, one of, one of the things we did was uh, a foundation for our study was looking at how EVs are different to ICE vehicles. After all, we know that an electric car or, or, or truck still has wheels, steering, powertrain and so forth. Um, but there are some differences around mass, noise, uh, what to do in the event of a breakdown, that kind of thing. Um, and so in the areas that are similar between an electric and an ICE vehicle, uh, there may not need to, may not be a need for road agencies to do anything, uh, anything different than they normally do. But in the areas that are different, we looked at how does that affect uh, the, the core traditional functions of, of road agencies. And so the lens for that framework that we used was to look at what we called core and non-core functions. So um, broadly speaking, so we, what we looked at was a core function is an area or an issue that road operators already manage or that they're responsible for and which will require some kind of different action with the emergence of EVs. So this is stuff that they must do. And then a non-core function was something we defined as something that a road operator may not need to do or may not need to act on, but they could do to support the transition to EVs. For example, removing market barriers or even active support measures. Uh, and this could be based on stakeholder expectations or following the lead of other road agencies uh, or even taking the lead themselves. And what we've seen around the world um, on the slide there is as uh, agencies tend to take up more of the non-core actions, the things that they don't need to do, um, but they're willing to do, we see an increased level of market uptake 
for electric vehicles. Um, so that's, that's a brief summary of the foundations and uh, the structure of the report. Let's move on to what we actually found. Um, looking across the spread of all the functions that road operators perform, you can see in the report, this is in section 5.4, there's a table of what we looked at. Um, we identified three core functions covering um, registration and licensing, road access, uh, and regulations related to or affected by charging infrastructure. And then we also identified uh, three non-core areas, uh, and they were around public education, uh, governance, and coordination of infrastructure. And across those six areas you'll find in the report, we identified 22 key issues, uh, which, which related to about 51 actions. Now, we're not gonna walk you through all 51 of those actions. That would be painful for all of us, I think. Um, you can get that from the report and from the link that Elena put up previously on the Austroads website. For, the, for this webinar, we instead pulled together the most important actions under uh, what we have as six key themes. And you should be able to see those in orange on the slide at the moment. Uh, the reason we did that is there's a lot of overlap and crossover in the core and the non-core um, actions that support those areas. And um, the arrows again show that uh, that crossover. So there are things that could be done in education that, that align with with, uh, with non-core, things that relate to charging guidelines and a whole range of other measures. So we've tried to use the themes as a bit of a, um, I guess, a, a common bucket for some of those actions. And so in the next few slides, we're gonna go through those, uh, those six themes. So I've reordered them here on the next slide. Um, just to follow a bit of a logical order. So on the left, you'll see there's leadership and governance, which are both strategic type management opportunities. I'm going to walk you through those two, and then I'll hand over to Nathan, who's gonna cover the next two. One of those is uh, Nevdis, which is a data related opportunity. Uh, the other one in the middle there is mass and license concessions. That's a regulatory related opportunity. And then finally, we have two on the right there related to EV charging. Uh, and one of those is information focused and the other one is actually infrastructure focused. Now, in all of these themes, we have some core and some non-core actions. And the extent to which any agency goes outside their core functions depends a lot on how pro proactive they're trying to be. Um, and that has a lot to do with leadership, which takes us into the first theme. So across all of the research in this project and our other work, we see that fleets, um, um, fleets in any organisation actually, um, but particularly government, plan their response to EVs based on where they fit on a spectrum of EV leadership. Now this isn't always a conscious decision. Uh, you can see on the slide there, um, the spectrum ranges from a reactive approach where they only do what must be done, which relates to our core actions, um, through more proactive responses as you head over to the right, um, all the way up to some agencies might even extend into incentives or other support mechanisms like building charging infrastructure. And what we know is that um, organisations that want to be leaders, we see this all the time, organisations that want to be leaders with EVs do more to support EVs and they do it more quickly. Whereas organisations that don't see this as part of their role tend to be reactive, they do less, and they respond more slowly. So if you think of the international context, countries like Norway and the Netherlands would be over on the far right of that spectrum. Uh, and even locally, uh, the ACT and maybe New Zealand 
uh, can be considered near that end, while the other states in Australia probably sit at different points across that spectrum, depending on what actions they've taken to date. And so it was our view that uh, road operators should decide where they fit on this spectrum. Um, and that can be also driven by or supported with other strategic priorities like um, uh, an innovation agenda or sustainability uh, policies, uh, carbon emissions reductions targets, uh, targets around renewable energy, all of the strategic actions and, and, and policies can help determine where they sit on this, this leadership spectrum. But it was pretty clear that um, that leadership vision, the more the, the, the clearer the leadership vision, the more focused and coordinated the response, rather than diving in just doing anything, doing something. So the leadership spectrum, as I said, is, is uh, very important as it drives how far a road operator goes into the non-core areas. And so we've got four actions that emerged under this leadership theme. Um, which were all mostly non-core actions. The first of those is uh, deciding what the road, the role of the road operator, the road agency is relative to other agencies. Now that might be within the same jurisdiction or across different jurisdictions. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. That's a governance issue, which is which is the next uh, theme. Uh, the second, uh, the second example there is. Um, EV trials and demonstrations, so coordinating those with what's happening in other states to share learnings and avoid duplication. Uh, the third action which we've grouped here under leadership was opening up car, space, uh, car spaces and other public land buildings for charging infrastructure. And then the final one is around information, which is coordinating clear and consistent public info about uh, the realities of switching to EVs. So these, these probably seem a bit obvious, uh, but the reality is they're all non-core functions that road agencies don't always or necessarily do, um, hence the importance of leadership. The education is probably a pretty good example there. It's not necessarily a role of road agencies to, to educate the public uh, about a new technology, but what we found in the research, and particularly with the stakeholder consultation in this project, is this, there's some issues around EVs where there's conflicting information already. And it was the view that road agencies could act as a trusted advisor to provide reliable information to reduce that confusion. Um, and particularly because lack of information or the wrong information is actually widely highlighted as a barrier to the uptake of EVs. Now, I mentioned we were gonna come back to governance. So, if leadership is how much to do, then you can think of governance as what to do and, and who does it effectively. Uh, personally, I found this, this was a really fascinating topic um, because EVs tend to blur the boundaries or the silos of traditional government agencies. There's no clear hard and fast rule among the different states as to who should lead um, EV planning and coordination. So in some states, what we see is it's led by the Department of Environment. In others, it's the Department of Transport. Others, it's Energy, and and even in some, it's uh, it sits within the uh, the Premier's office. The challenge then is to ensure that uh, this coordination across these agencies, both internally within each state, but also across jurisdictions where that's required. So things like defining what an EV is, which David touched on before, uh, defining the different types of fast charging and the names that are associated with that, or even parking signage. We know that silos can slow things down, 
So the greater the coordination across agencies, the less confusion and, and duplication we end up with. Uh, and a good example there is uh, within COAG, there is a low and zero emission vehicle working group, LZEV working group, which comprises the um, senior people from the transport agencies, and they're developing an EV work program uh, for road agencies across the country. But as we've just said, transport isn't necessarily the leading agency that's, that's leading all of that planning in different states. So there's a real need for uh, whoever that lead agency is in each state to be working with their transport colleagues uh, to feed in knowledge, feed in policies and priorities and so forth to ensure that all of the actions are actually linked up. And so in the area of governance, what we ended up with was, um, well, there are three, three actions that we can talk about. Uh, the first of those is establishing a lead agency for EVs in each state, or even better, a multi-agency working group. Something like the Commonwealth had with um, the Ministerial Forum on Vehicle Emissions, which some of you might remember, which was ministers across different portfolios working together. The second agent, uh, sorry, the second action is uh, collaborating across those lead agencies across jurisdictions, and particularly making use of existing forums like the LZ Working Group that I mentioned, um, but potentially even spreading that across other portfolios. So COAG also has. COAG Energy Council um, or similar committees of environment officials where they could also be used if um, environment or energy agencies are the lead agency in, um, in different states. And then the third action is around sharing and collaborating nat uh, nationally, which in some cases is already happening. Um, we see that in New Zealand, which was done to accelerate the uptake of EVs. And we know that the states are working with the Commonwealth to, um, uh, to support the national EV strategy. Um, this was, again, something that was raised by stakeholders during the consultation, very keen to see a, a national approach um, on some of, some of these issues, particularly around the area of consistency. And one of those areas that they can work together on is data related to EVs, which Nathan's going to discuss. So I'll hand over to Nathan to, uh, to talk about the, um, the next theme. But just a quick reminder, if you have any questions, just pop them up um, through the, uh, the app, as Elena mentioned before. Thanks, Mark. So within the, uh, the themes that we mentioned before, we identified uh, two actions um, for our registration and licensing systems. And these were derived from consultations, particularly from the states. Uh, each jurisdiction, um, has a, re a registration database uh, that, uh, that has the information for each vehicle input by a dealer or departmental staff, usually at the first registration. And this data feeds directly into NEVDIS, uh, the national system, with no error checking or logic checking. Um, the same, uh, the, uh, sorry, the result is, this, um, is the same model of a vehicle can be entered into the system uh, with different parameters across jurisdictions. Uh, this impacts on how the data can be drawn out for national use, including things like the ABS motor vehicle census. And for example, Victoria has 1,000 Toyota hybrids uh, recognised as electric. Um, other states are not quite as bad. A FEV can be entered into the system in three different variations of fuel type. And the registration licensing systems used in each state are very old and expensive to modify, which compounds the issue of incorrect data. This aspect also hampers the potential uh, for more data caption for other actions. 
and capturing data related uh, to EVs can support planning and policy. And for example, if the battery size of an EV is captured um, in the system, uh, vehicle range, grid loading, and other aspects may be modelled for the optimisation of future charging infrastructure deployment. We also found that there was um, there was elements to uh, to assist some vehicles uh, open up certain sectors. And as mentioned earlier, this report came from a position of how EVs differ from um, internal combustion engine vehicles, um, and that the mass of a battery electric vehicle is five to ten percent greater than that of a, um, a liquid fuel variant. Um, and so this payload uh, impact. Uh, can can make a real impact to uh, commercial vehicles. There were two sectors of heavy vehicle um, that were identified during the consultations as being particularly impacted uh, by this, and um, they run very close to regulation thresholds. Small trucks that operate um, on a Class C license at just under four and a half ton GBM um, uh, are not being transitioned to EVs due to the payload penalty to stay below that threshold. Um, or the license requirement to move above that threshold. The grocery delivery industry is um, keen to switch to EV, but held back by these barriers. And the report recommends an assessment of the license requirements for these small rigid EVs, uh, EV trucks, and, um, and see how this maybe overcomes a barrier. And again, in consultation, it was identified that domestic refuse trucks are a prime potential for EVs. Uh, the EV transition. And uh, in Australia, the, the class, this class is limited to 23 and a half tonnes. Um, and in Europe, it's, and, and in New Zealand, it's, it's limited to 26 tonnes and um, for this type of vehicle. So with the payload uh, penalty of batteries, this segment could benefit from a well-developed concession to allow EV adoption. Any concession uh, would be developed, could be developed with a sunset clause as the technology improves with battery density and mass um, reductions. Now looking at charging, um, Ostroads members and public entities uh, continue to engage in commissioning EV charges, um, whether it is or, or not part of their core um, outputs as Mark was mentioning before. There are many aspects of the positioning, design, deployment, um, and use of infrastructure, charging infrastructure, um, and they greatly vary across uh, the jurisdictions. Some guidance does exist, uh, but, not, uh, but none of it's comprehensive, complete, or consistent. Inconsistent deployment of charges can cause poor user experience, confusion, and a poor value for money for those who are investing in them. The, the development of um, an EV charging infrastructure guide uh, is recommended in this report to help with consistency and save investors and designers time and money. And we come across to charging coordination, which is a key part of bringing this all together. Electric and hydrogen fuels are very different in the supply chain, and hydrogen, as hydrogen just doesn't plug into the wall, the fuel needs to be created, shipped and dispensed. And as such, these two fuels require a different approach for their refueling network. Each, each though, require a public infrastructure, particularly for long distance use. 
Many charging points have been funded and deployed across jurisdictions, often in isolation with each other, from each other and without engaging key providers uh, such, as, um, such as energy networks. And there are also many considerations in the planning and deployment of um, an EV charging network. The prioritising areas where there's a high traffic flow may be a poor approach. For example, there is little point placing charges on a route where either heavy vehicles, caravans or trailers are the majority, as these segments are unlikely to transition to electric vehicle uh, in the near future. A lesser known core activity of the um, road operators um, is the specification of service stations, and particularly along regional routes. As has been done in Queensland, standard standards and documents should be reviewed to include the provision of electric and hydrogen um, vehicle recharging where appropriate. And as mentioned, uh, there are many networks and projects happening in isolation. Germany recently created a national control centre to coordinate this very task and guide all levels of government on the areas where, on the physical areas, on the geography of where investment in charges is required. I'd like to hand over now to, to David to um, bring the actions and conclusions together. Uh, great. Uh, thank you, uh, Mark and, and Nathan. Um, Elena, are you able to just share my screen? Hi, David. I have handed it over to you. Didn't come back? No. Let me do it. Okay, I've just sent it over again. Any joy? Um, no, it hasn't come up. But um, okay. maybe if you're just How able about, to flick through the yeah, screen. I will show you my screen. Okay, can you see that now? I just see the, um, I can see just the, the very start, uh, the assessment of the uh, key road operator action. Okay, so well, just while we're... Can I just check with the other presenters, can you see the conclusions and recommendations? Yes, yes, we can. We can see them. Okay, terrific. David, okay. do you mind? Well, I... Happy to present. Not seeing what you can, what your slides. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, so we'll go okay. on to the um, yeah slide thirty four. If you can show yep. that, Elena. Uh, so it's got the implement actions around the core issues. So yes, um, based on on uh, what Nathan and, and Mark's um, uh, presentations over the last. Uh, Several slides there. They've provided a, a good background as to the to the themes around um, what end up resulting in the in the core and and non-core issues. So on a slide here, we've essentially got 11 core issues that were identified, and and there's a whole bunch of subsequent actions around these uh, core issues. And, and we won't go through all of them, but they're essentially uh, summarised there on your slide now. So. Essentially, these 11 core issues, they're the ones that road operators must address in order to support uh, the transition to electric vehicles. That is because electric vehicles are different to internal combustion engine vehicles and therefore will have an impact on how road operators 
manage their, their road network. And so of these uh, 11 core issues, as you can see, uh, four were associated with registration and licensing, two were associated with uh, road access, and five were associated with EV charging infrastructure. This does not include the deployment of EV charger infrastructure, which is a non-core issue, which we'll get onto in the next slide. Uh, but essentially, the, the report identified 25 actions associated with these 11 core issues, and the issues and actions are summarised on the slide and with full details uh, contained in the, in the report. So we encourage all webinar attendees to to download and review the report, and they can and they, and they can see all the actions outlined there. So Elena, I'll just go to the next slide. And so um, then we had a, a various uh, themes that resulted in 11 non-core issues. Uh, been identified and there's a whole bunch of uh, actions associated with those but in summary they can be seen on on your slide there and so these are the issues that road operators should consider addressing if they wish to take a proactive role in supporting the transition to electric vehicles and so of these uh, 11 non-core issues uh, two were associated with education uh, three were associated with governance and six were associated with the EV infrastructure uh, deployment and all up, there's uh, 25 actions associated with these 11 core issues. Uh, they are summarised on, on the slide there with full details contained in, in the report. I'll just go on to the next slide, Elena. So in all up, uh, what this uh, project ended up recommending was uh, that road agencies implement the actions associated with the road operator core functions. So these actions align with the road operator core functions and will be impacted as a result of the continued uptake of electric vehicles. We uh, recommend that road agencies consider implementing the actions associated with the road operator non-core functions. And they consider that uh, with a, a view as to what role they want to take in supporting the transition to the uptake of EVs along the spectrum of reactive to proactive uh, leadership. Uh, we also recommend that um, Osroads develops an electric vehicle charging signage guidance documents for all Osroads members and other interested parties. And then finally, we re um, recommend that road agencies consider how best to coordinate action with the National Electric Vehicle Strategy currently being developed by the Australian Federal Government and and complement the work of the Transport and Infrastructure Council, Low and Zero Emissions Vehicles Working Group. So that last one there, that's really just for Australian road operators because it's aligned with um, Australian federal government initiatives. Uh, but we also uh, recommend that other international road operators or anyone else listening to this webinar could keep a, a watching brief of those developments and apply any learnings uh, from that uh, locally. So now's, uh, I guess, an opportunity to for the audience to ask questions of um, of uh, of all of us on the project, and I'll hand over to Elena to moderate uh, that question session. Thank you. Great, thanks so much, David, and thanks to all the presenters. That was really interesting. We do have quite a few questions. Um, the first one is really a broad question, uh, which I think uh, I'll throw to John first. Um, it's if the current working from home arrangements are successful and embraced by many employers in the long term, do you think this will impact on the scale of this and other major road infrastructure projects? 
Oh, my gosh, what a question. <laughs> um, I, there's got to be an impact. I, I, I think the world is going to be changed a lot by what we're going through at the moment. Um, I think travel is going to change as well. I've seen some some very interesting infographics around uh, travel in major cities versus the number of infections um, that we're seeing from COVID-19. So yes, I, I do think it will change, but how and how that relates to electric vehicles, I think we're yet to see. Um, I guess there could be a couple of issues in, in terms of the EV space and that's around how long it takes for the OEMs to get back to their normal levels of manufacturing as well. So um, we could see some more shortages in terms of the newer vehicle types and we could see some time before those newer vehicle types, those newer EVs are available on the Australian market. But yes, I think travel will be reduced for quite a few uh, a while to come. And of course, governments are going to need to weigh up the budget that they allocate to infrastructure versus the budget they allocate to getting the economy back on track after such major disruption. Thanks, Helena. Great, thanks, uh, John. Uh, so I'll go to slide 27. Um, and the question is, do you think there is a logical lead agency in terms of governance? Um, I'll take that one because that's my slide. Sorry, I was just unmuting myself. Um, no, I, th I think the logical um, way to manage the, the governance of that is to have a cross-portfolio working group that includes um, representatives from transport, environment, treasury, um, across all all the different agencies, and then working with uh, similar committees or working groups in other jurisdictions as well. Because I think, as we talked about, the, the EVs tend to um, cross over the boundaries of traditional silos, and I think that working working through those boundaries is the most effective way to to get a, a coordinated, effective approach to to either supporting or responding to to EVs. So I think I don't think there's one natural agency it, that varies as we've seen by by state. But I think the best approach is to work across all the agencies through a, a single committee or group. Okay, thanks, Mark. I'm going to take us now to slide. 33 in theory, no, ah, it might be 32. Um, okay, so the question is, has any of the panel seen or heard of innovative approaches to overcome barriers to the uptake of electric vehicles in Australia, uh, particularly by community groups or by councils? Look, there are many uh, innovative ways, uh, none of which were studied within this a project. This project was not about the um, supporting the uptake, as in accelerating the uptake. This was around really not getting in the way of the introduction of electric vehicles. There are plenty of papers, and, and we've been involved in some of that work in the past. Um, I think the most important things we have identified in this paper are a consistency of message in education, um, a consistency of deployment of infrastructure and ensuring that money where spent 
is spent sensibly. And I think they're some of the key things. I don't know if Mark's got anything to add. Yeah, look, I'd probably add to that by saying that um, New Zealand, which is an Austroids member, um, they've they've probably gone um, a bit of a different way, particularly with the uh, with allowing secondhand vehicles in from overseas. In great numbers. In great numbers, because what we've seen across the world is that pretty much any market so far that's got above 2% uptake of EVs has some kind of incentives in place um, and pretty significant incentives for the uptake of EVs. And New Zealand's kind of at that point almost, um, and, and while they do have some incentives there, they've also gone that extra step of allowing secondhand EVs to come into the market. Now, you can get some secondhand EVs in Australia, but we do have some restrictions on when those can be imported and so forth. So it's a whole can of worms there. Volume, yeah. Yep. yep. So I hope that just goes some way to answer within the scope of this project. Thanks. Yeah, so we've got a few questions that relate to uh, emergency situations. So one is around um, the training of incident response crews. So um, road operator incident response crews do not have um, experience in the um, in attending broken down electric vehicles. Did the report identify updating um, IRC and crew training as an issue? Yes, it did. Um, the report goes uh, goes to explore some of the challenges with roadside response, and not just emergency. But when when, when we think emergency, we think you know accident related, but also things like breakdown. Um, it goes to discuss uh, what has been happening. So the AWRO have been engaged in um, electric vehicle uh, understanding and um, guidance, and having worked with and also through consultation, understand that the OEMs, the manufacturers, engage directly with the um, with the local um, emergency services as well as the AWRO and other um, other bodies to provide the information required to specifically deal with an electric vehicle. And that goes all the way down to having um, fire brigades visit the a dealer where a vehicle can be run through by a technically capable specialist. Great, thank you. It's going to go down. That we had another. Oh, sorry, I'm having slight technical issues with the questions. Okay, uh, apologies, everybody. Um, another question on uh, this one on vehicle mass. So the increased vehicle mass will impact the structural design of structures such as bridges and car parks. What guidance, if any, at this stage is Austroads providing with regard to de the design of future infrastructure? Who do you want to send that one to? Well, I don't know. Me. Who would like to say? <laughs> Mark here. I'm happy to comment on the fact that with that increase in mass, if you think about a um, a light vehicle, a car, a five to ten percent increase in mass um, doesn't really have an impact on whether that's road wear or um, the the design loadings, because those structures are designed for vehicles at maximum weight, which might be you know, not a two-ton passenger car or one and a half tons. It's a um, 26 ton, 42 ton, 60, 60, two and a half ton truck. So um, down at the lower end, that increase in mass probably won't have much. But John, if you want to take any of that, or, or David as well. I, I yeah, John, did you have any comments? Yeah. 
Yeah, in terms of Austroads at the moment, um, it's not something um, that we've we've considered. Um, that doesn't mean that we won't into the future, um, but I think uh, in terms of our next program in the EV space, we'll be looking at doing things like providing guidance for agencies around charging infrastructure. Um, also, some issues around um, understanding what trials and evaluations are out there and coordinating um, some sort of a database around that. Uh, and then also looking at the issue of um, signage standards and things. So uh, they're the three sort of main EV projects we're planning for in the next 12 months within the Future Vehicles program. I'm not aware of any other programs in, in network or in road design specifically looking at um, changes in terms of uh, the extra weight from EVs at this stage. Thanks, John. Uh, so we do have a question that relates to the slide that we're sitting on at the moment, which is, has the French service centre model been reviewed for vehicle charging on major routes? So I think the first thing is that there hasn't been much review at a national level. And what we, what we recommend through this project is that there be just that. Um, there are multiple versions I mentioned in the presentation around the German model of, of the bottom right hand corner of the, um, the little blocks here where where do we put them and is that a sensible use of funding and is it really required um, so that's about the where and then the how which I think is what we're talking about there um, on a particular site is something that that is in the future but also as we can see on the left lower version is something within the control and within core function of states that they do have some engagement with the standards of a service centre, particularly on trunk roads and, and, and into, into regional roads, that, that could have that happen. And we know that Queensland has um, proceeded with electrification of that guidance document. So I think there's, and I think all of that all boils up into, we're a lot earlier than the likes of Europe, and we haven't got that nailed down yet. And I think there's great opportunity for us to do so. Thank you. Uh, so we've got a couple of questions about the safety of electric vehicles. So the first one is um, how the safety and insurance aspects of electric vehicles, are they different from an ICE vehicle? And has that been considered in the document? So we did, uh, we did look at safety aspects and we referenced a couple of studies which you can find in the document itself around um, crash data related to um, electric vehicles and the studies that we saw effectively said that I mean we, we know there's a lot of media attention around battery fires um, and that's certainly an issue and, and most emergency response agencies have got a, a, a strategy for dealing with with battery fires but from a crash safety perspective, um, the, the research basically says that EVs are as safe or even safer because of their physical characteristics, like a lower centre of gravity, which means less risk of rollover, for example. Mm -hmm. So we did, we did look at that, yes, in the report. In addition to that, we also explored hydrogen as a fuel and, and its safety and its concerns. And one of the things we haven't mentioned today, but is in the recommendations, that is that all road agencies should consider their networks to see if there are any current restrictions on the use of, on the carrying of 
um, the previously or the, the classified as dangerous goods that are hydrogen and ensure that the roadway is basically currently not blocking um, the use of a hydrogen vehicle. This is the case in some tunnels um, around uh, Europe, particularly um, that is being under has been is being understood and then unwound basically after risk assessments. And there is also similar concerns in some places around things like underground car parks. So there's work to be done in that space. Yeah, I'd just like to add. I'd just like to add a few more points to that. So, just in terms of um, electric vehicles, obviously electric vehicles are the new and emerging type of vehicle. So, being new and emerging, they'll come with um, new and emerging vehicle safety standards associated with that, um, which probably, I guess, in the in the future will address some of the things that um, the Austroads Future Vehicle programs are also looking into in terms of. Um, autonomy features and, and features such as uh, cooperative ITS, given that their nature is um, a new and emerging vehicle. I don't know if John wanted to add any anything to that as well. Um, not only, David, but I, it's interesting. Um, I think that we, you know, it would be possible to have a look back um, as you know a decade now in terms of the Toyota Prius and. Uh, it first, I think, coming on the market in 2007, 2008. Essentially, it still has a battery. Um, it, it may not plug into uh, a wall socket, but there's plenty of hybrids out there. Um, and I certainly am not aware, even from my previous role in road safety, of those vehicles um, being involved in more crashes or resulting in um, severer injuries uh, after a crash at this stage, but uh, we've probably got a decade of information around those vehicles now. I think one of the challenges is, as mentioned in this report, that our registration and licensing system doesn't um, easily identify those vehicles. So when you're looking for that type of crash in the data, it can be difficult to find them. Great, thanks guys. Um, so I've got time for one more question um, and I'll a general question. So are there any particular jurisdictions that have excelled in planning for electric vehicles, um, particularly in longer distance and low density environments? And they're thinking less of European settings and more about jurisdictions here in Australia or North America. Perhaps Mark or Nathan? Yeah. Um, so if we, if we just get that question right, we're talking about um, jurisdictions or areas that have excelled in the adoption of EVs, um, but maybe not European versions. Clearly, California is one of the world's you know, biggest um, EV markets, and for that fact, um, also hydrogen markets, if you want to include that as well. Um, that's a fairly long and narrow state, a bit like the mirror image to our east coast. Um, and so, uh, they've done some great things and a couple of things they have is including you know a, a, a maximum distance between fast charges on a charging route as part of their um, part of their the guidelines which is uh, 50 miles um, and and you've also got New Zealand as a yeah. as a similar um, similar place that has done you know it's long and thin and traversed a little like our east coast and they've done some fantastic things in coordination and data and 
and so on. And I guess there's a subtlety in that question as well. Um, if you, you could look at it as what have they done in terms of road management or the core functions of a, of a road agency, a road operator, or what have they done in their own fleet? Because there's many councils and even state governments as well that are um, accelerating the uptake of EVs, even in Australia, through their own vehicle fleet policies. You know, ACT is a good example. Yep. Uh, New Zealand, there's a whole range of different councils that are um, supporting EV uptake by, by transitioning their fleets. Yeah, and I'd just like to add, when we did the stakeholder consultation, I was, I guess, we were pleasantly surprised, like talking to the different road agencies about how um, they're all doing, uh, they're all moving towards it, they're all doing steps uh, to to look at how they can support the transition to EV. So I think that's all very encouraging, obviously, at, at, they're all at different uh, levels along that journey. Um, but I think everyone's kind of progressing along that path. Great, thanks guys. Um, look, thanks everybody. I think we will wrap it up here. Um, I'm sorry if we didn't get to answer your question, but we will, uh, we've got a record of all of those questions and the presenters will prepare written responses to those questions that we didn't get to today and we'll publish those um, and send them to you all. Um, so just before I close up, I uh, just wanted to highlight some of the upcoming Austroads webinars that we've got. Those are on the screen at the moment. If you've got an interest in um, future vehicles, then the session on education and training for drivers of assisted and automated vehicles coming up on the 13th of May may be of particular interest. So you can um, go onto our website and register for those. So thank you everybody. Thank you, John, David, Mark and Nathan for your time presenting today. That was really interesting. Thank you everybody for your really great questions. Um, and just as I close, you'll get a pop-up on your window um, asking for some feedback on today's session. Uh, we really appreciate your feedback. It helps us to shape uh, how we deliver these and the, and the sessions that we run in the, each year. And we do read all of your feedback. So please take a few minutes to just answer those questions. It's really helpful for us. So everybody, thank you. Um, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, Elena. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Bye.